Well, good evening. Welcome back to Long Hill Baptist Church. We're going to start with number 360. There is a fountain. We'll sing all five verses. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile, as he wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away. And there may I, though vile, as he wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming has been my theme and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Well, good evening. Welcome to the Wednesday night Bible study uh, here at Long Hill Baptist Church in Trumbull, Connecticut. You may have noticed that uh, in our recent services, we've been singing all of the verses of fewer songs. And there's a few different reasons for that, but um, I guess the good news is we're not skipping your favorite verse, right, Brother Ray? If we're singing all the verses, I think there's a, there's a lot of benefit to singing all the verses. We, we haven't done that consistently, but it's, it's nice to hear the song all the way through without, without skipping any of it. So I hope that's a blessing to you. 
Uh, praise God for these wonderful hymns uh, that we have inherited that have been handed down uh, to us over the years. Of course, there's excellent music being written today, but some of these hymns that have stood the test of time, they're just wonderful. They're a blessing, and I praise God for them. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the great privilege it is to worship you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for each one who is watching today. I pray that each of our hearts will be bowed before you tonight, worshiping you. Lord, I pray that uh, you place a joy in our heart tonight as we yield to you. And I thank you tonight that that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that have been promised to uh, those who yield to the Spirit of God, uh, those who are led and guided and controlled by the Spirit. Lord, what an important thing. And what great blessings you bestow upon us as we yield to the Spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy that is one of those blessings. Lord, I pray that you work here tonight. I pray that uh, as we dig into your word tonight, that'll be a blessing. We're going to try to cover a lot tonight. I pray that we uh, accomplish what you desire. Meanwhile, I pray as we sing again that um, you would be pleased by that. I pray people would be encouraged but, Lord, that you would be uh, pleased, that our singing of you and to you would be a blessing to you. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our next song this evening is going to be number 58, Isn't the Love of Jesus Something Wonderful? We'll sing all three verses. sweeter story story of the Savior's love divine love that brought him from the realms of glory just to save a sinful soul like mine isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful 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 oh isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful wonderful it is to me Boundless as the universe around me, reaching to the farthest soul away. Loving, saving love it was that found me, that is why my heart can truly say, Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Oh, is the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful it is to me? Love beyond our human comprehending, love of God in Christ, how can it be? This will be my theme in never-ending, great redeeming love of Calvary. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful, wonderful? Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful it is to me? Well, the answer is yes, it is. The love of Jesus is something wonderful indeed. And I hope tonight you understand that. Uh, we think about the Lord's love for us, seeing and sending the Father's love and sending the, his only begotten Son 
uh, to earth as a man, still God, but as a man, uh, grew up and eventually went to the cross, died there suffering all that he suffered. What, what a great love, what a great love that both the Father and the Son have demonstrated to us. And of course, the Spirit demonstrates the same love in our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you that none of us can say, uh, woe is me, nobody loves me. <laughs> My Creator loves me. The God of all things uh, loves me. The Lord God, Jehovah, loves me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Turn tonight with me, please, to Judges uh, chapter 9. Judges chapter 9. It's a longer chapter, uh, but I've set, a, I've set a goal tonight of trying to to read through uh, this chapter with you. If we don't make it, that's fine. We'll go uh, probably until about 8 o'clock tonight, see, see how far we can get. But I'd, I'd like to read through this entire chapter tonight because it's, uh, it's one account, it's, it's, it's one episode uh, in the life of, of God's people. It really needs to be seen as a whole to begin drawing out uh, principles and lessons from it. Uh, I will say this tonight, it is, um, it's a difficult chapter. Uh, it's a chapter that is filled with um, wickedness. Uh, it's a chapter filled with uh, people, God's people, who have uh, turned away from the Lord. Uh, it's uh, an episode in the life of um, at least a small segment uh, of the nation that has turned from God uh, to their own devices. Uh, to their own devices, and it's not pretty. But I will say this, in the end, uh, I want you to be encouraged because in the end, we will see the Lord deal with unrepentant offenders in a just and complete way, and a very final way. And tonight, I, I appreciate so very much that we have a God who is just. Our world is filled with injustice. But God is just, and in the end, everyone will be treated absolutely, perfectly, justly by a God who is absolutely, perfectly just. We may have to endure injustice uh, this side of heaven, but it will not continue. The Lord promises us that. And so tonight, we see a difficult, we see a difficult episode. I want to jump in here tonight. We'll see the account of Abimelech. Now, Abimelech is one of Gideon's sons, uh, not one of the 70 who he had with uh, his many wives, the Bible says, but one that he had with a concubine. So one who would be a half-brother uh, to Gideon's 70 sons whom he had with his many wives. And uh, this uh, half-brother to the 70 uh, becomes very unhappy with uh, not being in charge of things. Oh, maybe he feels left out because he's not one of the 70. Uh, I don't know, but his, his, heart, his heart is to rise up and strike against his brothers uh, and to rule over um, at least a portion of the land uh, in a way that God did not intend. And so once you see this tonight, we'll dig in and, and we'll see this. We will quickly make some observations along the way, but I do want to read a lot tonight uh, we'll take care to, to make some observations, but uh, in the end, I, uh, tonight, I want you to see the entire account, if possible, and to appreciate the uh, significance, some of the principles and implications practically for us tonight. So 
Uh, let's jump in. Hold on tight. Uh, have your Bible out. Judges chapter 9. Judges chapter 9. Uh, I want you to begin, actually. Um, well, no, we'll, we'll start there. Judges chapter 9 um, and beginning in verse 1. Uh, we see here, Abimelech, the son of Jerubabel, remember that's Gideon, uh, went to Shechem unto his mother's uh, brethren, unto his mother's brethren, and communed with them. So this is, this is the son uh, of, of Gideon and uh, his concubine, uh, goes uh, to his mother's town, it's Shechem, uh, and, and speaks with her and uh, his, his family there with all the family of the house uh, of his mother's father, saying, verse 2, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubbabel, Gideon's 70 sons, which are threescore and ten, 20, 40, 60, and 10 is 70, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and flesh. You see back uh, again, back at the end of chapter 8, beginning in verse 29, there's, there's a description here of the 70 versus this one who is Abimelech. And uh, basically, he's gone now, and uh, he's gone back to his mom and her family and said, listen, you got these 70 who maybe want to rule over you, but um, here, here am I. I. I'm your close relative. Uh, they're only half, half relatives to you. Uh, but I'm a full relative to you. Wouldn't, you. wouldn't you like to have me lead you, a member of your own tribe, your own clan, your own family, uh, as opposed to the possibility that these 70 uh, may somehow rule? Well, the men of Shechem agreed to follow Abimelech. Verse 3, his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem all these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. Uh, he's our brother. So what do they do? They give him 70 pieces of silver. He quickly uses that to hire uh, an army. Uh, and evidently his intent is that this army will go and kill his 70 half-brothers so that he can rise up and, and gain control. See verse 4. They gave him three score and ten pieces of silver. Uh, this, this may allude to uh, uh, an account in the New Testament, of course. Uh, not sure, but it's an interesting thought. They gave him three score and ten pieces of silver uh, out of the house of Baal Barith. Now, Baal, of course, is uh, their false god. So uh, basically, out of the offerings that have been given to Baal, a false god, an idol, uh, they take 70 pieces of silver, wherewith Abimelech hired uh, vain and light persons which followed him. Uh, vain here has the idea of empty or worthless, and light has the literal idea uh, of unimportant. These, these were characters of, of low character, we might say. Uh, the, the, these, were, these were men who did not have good reputations. Uh, they, they were men of low character who were sitting around waiting to be hired, uh, happy to be hired, evidently, to do wicked things. So Abimelech goes and he uses them to kill his half-brothers, all, all except Jotham, one of them, uh, Jotham, who escapes. Uh, verse 5 says this, He went unto his father's house at uh, Ophrah, Ophrah uh, and slew his brethren, the sons of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, being threescore and ten, seventy, upon one stone. Notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. So this one of the seventy, he hides himself, he escapes, uh, and sure enough, Abimelech is made king. This is his desire. Uh, he, he's, he's desired power and position, and 
uh, even at the expense or the cost of killing 70 men uh, who are his half-brothers. -brother, uh, this, this is what he lusts after, power and position. What a dangerous thing, left unchecked, unchecked, unchecked. Uh, what a dangerous thing, this, this kind of power lust, this kind of lust for position, this, this lust for a place to which God has not called someone, uh, once that gets a hold of a man, can lead him into great wickedness. Uh, as we've seen here, Lord, help us to just submit to your will. Help us to just make ourselves available to you for whatever you want, not desiring anything more or less than that. Well, verse 6, all the men of Shechem gathered together, and all the house of Milo went and made Abimelech king. That's what he wanted, uh, by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. Uh, verse 7, when they told it to Jotham, uh, this is the one of 70 who escaped, he went and stood in the top of Mount uh, Gerizim, lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. Well, he wants them to understand, this, this one who has escaped, uh, the one of the 70, wants um, the men of the city of Shechem, and he wants Abimelech really uh, to consider, to see, uh, to really consider what they've done. Uh, they've killed 69, they would have killed 70, but they've killed 69 uh, to make one king. What, what wickedness. Jotham could just say that straight out, but uh, that would be a frightful thing perhaps. And so he, uh, he uses a, a parable. Of course, Jesus taught parables, difficult truths. Uh, he taught with stories, with parables as well. And uh, here Jotham will, will speak a parable beginning in verse 8. It's uh, basically, uh, he uses an illustration of different types of trees uh, to represent different men who might be leaders. Uh, he pictures the olive tree, I believe, as Joshua. Remember, they had asked Joshua to be their leader, and he said, no, God's our leader. Just follow God. Uh, but they've still, they're still looking for a worldly leader. Uh, Joshua had refused, and so uh, Jotham wants them to understand that rather than kind of ratcheting up to God as their leader, they're ratcheting down to lower and lower places to look for a leader. They're lowering their requirements to a lower and lower place to find a leader. Uh, they go from an olive tree to a fig tree to a vine to a bramble, uh, which is basically a, a weed that wasn't worth very much. See verse 8, the trees went forth, he says, this is Jotham's parable, uh, on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto them, the olive tree reign thou over thus. I think this is picturing um, Gideon. Verse nine says, but the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith my, by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees. And verse 10, the trees, this is picturing the men of the city, uh, said to the fig tree, come thou and reign over us. So they, they kind of demote themselves or demote their uh, requirements from the olive tree to the fig tree. Uh, but the fig tree, verse 11, said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? No. Verse 12, then said the trees under the vine, uh, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? No. And so finally they go, verse 14, then said all the trees under the bramble, uh, a, a woody weed, a bramble, come thou and reign over us. And uh, of course, he wants them to see that Abimelech is the bramble. They've, they've lowered their standards uh, for calling a leader from the olive to the fig to the vine to the bramble to something that's uh, almost worthless. 
And uh, Jotham, he continues on in verse 15, really trying to get them to appreciate the character or the lack of character and the lack of integrity that Abimelech has. Verse 15, he, he describes in this way, the bramble said unto the trees, if in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. Uh, this is sarcasm. A bramble is a little short thing, wouldn't offer much uh, protection uh, in, in terms of shade or shadow. So this is sarcasm. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And I think this is probably a picture of the cruelty of Abimelech. This is a man who hired a small uh, group of bandits, a small army, uh, to go and kill 69 of his 70 half-brothers. He's, he's cruel. He's one that's shot out fire. Now, this, um, this uh, verse here, uh, it's parable to try to get them to understand what they've done, lower their standards for a leader, uh, call the man of low character and, and uh, a man who's cruel. Uh, but it's also a curse. Uh, it's also a curse. And uh, Jotham builds on that in the next oh, four or five verses. Uh, he pronounces a, a curse uh, on the men that have called Abimelech and on Abimelech himself. He uses this kind of logical construction, if this, then this. He basically says, hey, if Abimelech's a good guy, everything will be okay. Uh, but if he's not a good guy, then things aren't going to go well for you or him. He wants them to, again, consider, have we done well? Have we done right? And could we expect to be blessed? Or have we done wrong? And should all of us, including Abimelech, expect uh, to be cursed, expect to be dealt with by God? So see this here beginning in verse 16. He says, now therefore, if. So you're going to see this kind of if-then-else construction. If you've ever done any coding or uh, back in my day, we said computer programming, uh, where you would write these if-then statements. And if the if wasn't true, then something else would happen. It would be else do this. You'll see that here. Now, therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely in that ye have made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt well with Rubabel, that's Gideon, and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands. And then he reminds them that, you know what? Uh, Gideon and his house deserved to be treated well. Uh, Gideon had delivered the people from the Midianites and all, all that went with that. He says, for my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hands of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, threescore and 10 persons upon one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem because he's your brother? I'm reading it with question marks at the end, but I believe that's how it's intended. He's saying it to them like, do you really, have you stopped and considered what you've done? Have you really stopped to consider the wickedness of what you've done? Verse 19, he reiterates that if, but listen, if, verse 19, ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Rubabel, that's Gideon, and with his house this day, then Rejoice ye, all of you, in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. Just rejoice. If you've really done well, despite what I just said, be blessed, rejoice. But if something else is true, else, verse 20, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech. You experience his cruelty, the cruelty of the one that you have raised up through cruelty, and devour the men of Shechem the same cruelty that was employed to call him to reign over you, uh, the curse would be, if you've done wrong, cruelty would proceed 
from Abimelech toward those who had aided him in his cruelty and the house of Milo and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of, of Milo and devour Abimelech. Uh, they be cursed and, 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 and slain by fire and Abimelech cursed and slain by fire as well. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting passage here. Uh, the parable is interesting, it's poetic. There is a, a curse being pronounced here with this if-then-else construction, see that. Uh, verse 20 becomes very prophetic. These men are guilty uh, as charged, uh, and the, the curse that is um, pronounced here, if they're guilty, uh, Abimelech would destroy them, and Abimelech, I'm going to struggle to say that now, Abimelech himself uh, would be destroyed. This is the justice of God. This is the justice of God that Jotham is bringing forth here. Uh, no doubt, no doubt, God has given Jotham this parable, and God has given Jotham this curse to, pr curse to pronounce. Uh, there's no other way, naturally, that Jotham could uh, prof prophesy what will happen if these men are guilty, as he has done in verse 20. God evidently has given him these words and this curse. Uh, God being the just God that he is, Jotham has just delivered this message on. Well, realizing that his statement would be understood as a curse, Jotham fled uh, in fear of Abimelech and the men. See verse 21, Jotham ran away, fled. He's been obedient to give the message of God, but he don't want to be killed today. He went to uh, Be'er and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Uh, verse 22, Abimelech, when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel. So uh, the Lord allows Abimelech to reign, uh, it says for three years, uh, it says over Israel. I don't know if it's over all of Israel. I'd rather think it's not. I think it, it might just be a slice of territory there, kind of around Shechem. I may be wrong about that. Um, but verse 23 uh, is a most interesting verse. It says, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Now, this difficult verse, there's difficulty here. Uh, what I understand for sure is that God caused division between King Abimelech and the men that uh, he was ruling over. God caused division between them. Uh, do I think that God literally sent an evil spirit? Uh, no, I, I think that's unlikely. I, I don't think it's completely impossible, but I think the language here um, is intended to be a little bit poetic. Uh, I think God sending an evil spirit between these men pictures that the spirit of unity that they had known for these uh, three years uh, was now compromised. God intervened in their relationship uh, to unravel their unity. So the spirit of unity that they had known became a spirit of evil or disunity uh, between the men. I think this is the, this is the idea here. Uh, otherwise, you're left with the difficulty of God sending an evil spirit. And I, I just think that's unlikely, uh, given what we know about the Lord and evil spirits and the history and, and the character of God. In any event, the verse says, Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. The men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubbabel might come, and their blood be laid, laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. 
Uh, so things are unraveling here. Some of the men of Shechem unsuccessfully attempt to capture him. Verse 25, the men of Shechem uh, set uh, liars. This, these are not untruthful people, but people that lie in wait to capture someone for him at the top of the mountains. They robbed all that came along uh, that way by them, uh, and it was told Abimelech. So Abimelech, Abimelech was told, hey, these guys are, are hiding out, trying to, they're waiting for you, and they're going to capture you. Uh, he, so he doesn't, he doesn't fall for that trap. Uh, but off on the side, there's a man named uh, Gaal, or Gael. Uh, he joins with those who are now opposing Abimelech. We don't know too much about him, but he enters into the picture uh, from kind of off stage. Uh, and he's going to propose himself as a new leader, a replacement for Abimelech. And, you know, he comes in stirring the pot and instigating revolt and rebellion and uh, he's got a, a lot of big talk. Verse 26, Gael, Gaal in the Hebrew, uh, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went to Shechem. And the men of Shechem, Shechem put their confidence in him. You know, they're looking for somebody to uh, depose uh, Abimelech, who had been their man, but who was no longer their man. Verse 27, they went out into the fields and gathered the vineyards. Uh, and trode the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God, not the Lord, but their God, Baal, uh, and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. So you see this man coming and stirring up difficulty. Uh, what are they doing? They're, they're partying, they're drinking and getting drunk and being merry uh, and, and doing this in the place where they worship their false God. Uh, this is false worship and, and, and the worst kind of false worship. Uh, and here cursing uh, Abimelech. Uh, Gael or Gaal questions the legitimacy of Abimelech's rule and, and then uh, promotes himself. He's listen, you know, there's there's problem with this guy. They, they want him to be, they want, he wants the men uh, of Shechem to be even more dissatisfied. Uh, he's got he's to really get under their skin and then offer himself as the solution. And, you know, that's what, that's what people will do so often if they're looking to get into a place of position or place or position that God has not opened up to them, they will try to create dissatisfaction with the person that God has put into this place. Uh, sadly, you, you've seen that in churches where God has clearly placed a man into the pastorate. And for some reason, people become dissatisfied with the man that God has put into that place. And they will start to uh, they will start to promote uh, um, disunity uh, and problems and, and may promote someone else in the place of the pastor. Uh, this kind of thing has been going on since all the way back to the days of Gideon, uh, and it's still going on, of course. Uh, Lord, help us all to simply be in the place that you desire us to be in uh, and to be satisfied and content with those that you have put into uh, various different places of service. Anyway, see verse 28, Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? Uh, and, and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Who is this guy anyway? Who is he to be ruling over you? Uh, is not he the son of Jerubbabel? Isn't he the son of this Gideon? Uh, and, and Zebul, his officer, uh, Zebul seems to be the um, sort of like the, the mayor over the town there, uh, served the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Uh, serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? Uh, that's a reference there to the old uh, Canaanite ruler of that area, uh, I would think. 
Verse 29 says, and would God this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. He says, boy, if, ever, if, if you just let me be the ruler over you, I'd take care of Abimelech. You're, who is he anyway? Uh, why did you ever want him to rule over you? You see the problem now, and there's all kinds of issues. Um, listen, I just put me up, prop me up, and I'll take care of this problem for you. Uh, verse 29 continues, Abimelech, and he said to Abimelech, increase thine army and come out. Uh, he openly challenged Abimelech. He'd been talking smack about him behind his back, uh, sees that he's getting away with that, so he openly uh, prods or confronts or, uh, Abimelech and said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm looking to be the, the king, and, uh, you know, if you want to do anything about it, bring your army, bring it on, man, uh, bring it. And, of course, he does. <laughs> he does. Uh, we see here again Zebul, who seems to be... Um, the mayor of Shechem, he warns Abimelech and proposes a plan to defeat uh, this Gale. Verse 30, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gale, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. He sent his messengers unto Abimelech privately, privately saying, Behold, Gale, the son of Ebed, and his brethren come, uh, be come to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee, against you, Abimelech. Now therefore, he gives him a plan. Now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the fields. You set yourselves up, your armies up outside the city in the fields. Uh, verse 33, and it shall be that in the morning, uh, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city. And behold, when he... Uh, Gale, uh, and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou shalt find occasion. So this is the plan that Mayor Zebul uh, promotes. Uh, Abimelech seems to accept the plan, Brother Ray, uh, and implements it. Verse 34, Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night, and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies, four divisions surrounding the town. Uh, verse 35, and Gale, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city, and Abimelech rose up, and the people that were with him, his army, from laying in wait. They came out of hiding. They're coming against Shechem. Uh, here we see verse 36. When Gael saw the people, he said to Mayor Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. Uh, Gael, who's trying to depose Abimelech, says to, uh, to Mayor Zebul, Look out there. Don't, don't see. There's armies approaching here. Uh, we, we need to do something. We, we, we need to defend. Uh, Zebul, middle of verse 36, said unto him, Thou seest the shadow of the mountains uh, as if they were men. He says, listen, you don't, you don't see armies coming. You see the morning light fooling you, tricking you. Um, as much as he's perhaps pretended, uh, Mayor Zebul has pretended to be an ally of Gael. Uh, he's acting as an ally of Abimelech right now, buying him time allowing him to get closer, it would seem. Verse 37 says, Gael spake again, and see, there come people down by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plain of Maonim. Uh, don't you see them? And Zebul encouraged Gael to, now he encourages Gael, yep, okay, you're right, you better go fight Abimelech. Verse 38, then said Zebul unto him, uh, where is now thy mouth? <laughs> You know, you had a lot to say when there was no problem, big man, big man with a lot to say. Where is now thy mouth? Wherewith thou saidst, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this people, uh, is not this people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray thee, uh, and fight with them. So he says, all right, big guy, go on out there and, and fight him. Sure enough, you're right, that's Abimelech. So 
uh, Mayor Zebul has, has really, uh, he's, he's played both sides of the equation here. Uh, and there might be a few reasons. He's not sure who's gonna come out on top. So uh, he's a double agent, uh, or at least seems to play that role uh, here. Well, Abimelech pursues after Gael. Verse 40, Abimelech chased him and fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. Some fled back to the city. Uh, Zebul thrust out Gael. Uh, verse 41 says, And Abimelech dwelt at, uh, at Aruma, and Zebul thrust out Gael and his brethren, that they should not dwell in Shechem. Uh, Zebul re reveal, reveals his true colors to Shechem, I'm sorry, to Gael, and says, listen, uh, nope, you're not coming back in here, you're, you're out of here. Um, the people of Shechem that remained loyal to Abimelech join him in the field. Verse 42, it came to pass on the morrow, people went out into the field, they told Abimelech what had happened. Verse 43, he took the people and divided them into three companies, uh, and laid wait in the field and looked, and behold, the people were come forth out of the city, and he rose up against them and smote them. So uh, some come out uh, after them, uh, some come out of Shechem to uh, attack, and, and they kill them. They, they, they defeat them in a little battle here, a little skirmish here perhaps. Verse 45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. So those that came out of Shechem to oppose him, he slays them, and then he goes back into the city of Shechem, uh, knowing that he has been opposed from that place. Remember, it was the men of Shechem that had raised him up and put him on the throne. Uh, now he understands there's, there's been opposition from that place. And so he goes back in there uh, and he wars against that city and he destroys it. He destroys it. Verse 45, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. Uh, he not only destroyed the city, Brother Ray, but evidently he, he plowed up the places where crops would be grown and, and plowed salt into the field so that nothing could grow there ever again. Uh, he, he, this is extreme cruelty and no doubt intended as a message to anyone else in any neighboring cities who would oppose him. Now Bimlech pursues after the men of Shechem who sought uh, refuge uh, in a Baal temple outside of the city. See this, he's, his cruelty just continues. He, he knows that some have escaped from Shechem and they're taking uh, refuge uh, at, a, at a, a Baal temple. Verse 46, when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into an hold uh, of the house of the, of the god Berith. This might be a flavor of Baal worship, uh, an offshoot, or it might simply be a reference to Baal worship in general, uh, the god Berith. Verse 47, it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech got him up to the Mount Zulman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an ax in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees, a branch from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said unto the people that were with him, his army, what ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. Cut a branch off the tree and bring it. Uh, verse 49, and all the people, all of his army likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech and put them to the hold and set the hold on fire upon them. Each person in his army brought a branch from a tree and they surrounded these people where they were hiding from Abimelech, uh, and they set a fire, and they killed those people by fire. Extreme cruelty. Uh, this, this is prophesied uh, by 
uh, Jotham, uh, that this, this one would be this cruel, the same kind of cruelty is about to come upon uh, Abimelech and those that have promoted him uh, earlier on when he first promoted himself. We see here all the men of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women, it's just a horrific scene. Uh, Abimelech goes and attacks a neighboring area, verse 50, uh, took it, uh, see verse 51, people of, of Thebes take refuge in a tower. Verse 51, there was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled, or to that place fled, all the men and women, and all they of the city, and shut it to them. They locked themselves in uh, so that uh, Abimelech could not get them, and get them up to the top of the tower. Well, Abimelech sees this, he becomes aware of this, and he attacks that tower. Uh, Verse 52, we're almost done. Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, cruel, and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Please see verse 53. Please see verse 53. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone, the stone that was used, that giant stone that was used to grind the wheat, to grind the grain. She took a piece of that. Uh, She's there at the top of the tower with a piece of that stone. She cast a piece of millstone down upon Abimelech's head, and all to do what? What does it say there? To break his skull. This one who's come so cruelly against these people uh, now suffers this cruel injury, a millstone falling down upon his head, breaking his skull. That's what the Bible says. Well, Abimelech knows that he's about to die. He does not want to die uh, being known as one who was killed by a woman. Uh, He's a big, strong man. He couldn't couldn't be known as one who was killed by a woman. Uh, So he goes to one of his men and his army and says, listen, I need you to kill me. You just kill me right now so that I won't be known as one who was killed by a woman. Take out your sword, slay me. Uh, And that man did exactly that. Verse 54, then he called hastily unto the young man his armor bearer and said unto him, draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. It's just tragic. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his own place. This is over. Now, that's not a, that's not a good story. It's filled with cruelness and hatred. Uh, it's, it's filled with um, lust for power and position uh, and an unbridled lust that leads men to kill many and to keep killing. Sin begets sin. Lusts uncontrolled, unbridled, lead to worse and worse places. But in the end, we see here that God was in control. Uh, God gave the message through Jotham, the one of the 70 who escaped, that an unrepentant Abimelech and an unrepentant men of Jotham would suffer, justly would suffer, um, the same fate that they had meted out against others wrongly. Uh, Having done that, they would suffer justly for their sin, for the wrong that they had committed. This is a just end that has been 
orchestrated and carried out by the Lord, who is absolutely in control, who is absolutely sovereign. Uh, how do I know that? Well, I think we, we've seen it already, but look at verses 56 and verse 57, the last two verses of this long chapter. We made it. They say this, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father in slaying his 70 brethren, and all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. It doesn't say God did wickedness or evil. It said that, he says that God did to them justly what they had done to others unjustly. That's the idea. Verse 57 again, and all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. They've been killed. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel, exactly as he prophesied in his story that he told, and then that if-then-else curse, which very plainly came from the Lord, received by Jotham, spoke forth as a warning, as a warning. Could Abimelech have repented of his sin and avoided this outcome. I believe he could. He was warned of the Lord. Could the men of Shechem, who uh, had Abimelech, 69 of Abimelech's 70 brothers killed, could they have repented? They were warned. They were warned. They could have repented, and I believe they could have avoided this outcome. But they did not, and so they suffered the wrath, the just wrath, of a holy and righteous God. Now listen, um, I don't want anyone to be discouraged by this account. You ought to be encouraged that God is just, that God has wrath against sin, but he's just. And in the end, he carries out justice. When we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll not be judged for our sin. It's been covered by the blood of Christ. We'll be judged for our service. And our reward in eternity will be proportional to the character um, and faithfulness of our service. Those that stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment will be judged for their sin. And they will be ju judged uh, justly and cast into the lake of fire as a just punishment carried out by a righteous God who is perfectly holy. And so in this account tonight, I, I find a warning. I find a warning for the lost. Listen, if you don't know Christ tonight, you're going to meet a just God and you're going to meet a very undesirable end, a just but very undesirable end. Uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal suffering in the lake of fire where you don't burn up you suffer eternity in eternity but that does not have to be the case if you're not sure tonight there's been a time that you've come to Christ and placed your faith in him for forgiveness of sin uh, now's the time <laughs> tonight is the time Lord I know I'm a sinner the Bible says all I'm sure of the glory of God the Bible makes it clear that our best is as filthy rags in God's eyes when we come to Christ, he forgives us. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, the Psalms say. 
Praise God. Praise God. The Bible says that. I would urge you tonight, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, the only way to be judged for your service rather than your sin is to come to Christ with a humble, repentant faith and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. I place my faith in you and the payment that you made for my sin upon the cross tonight. That's the only way to avoid an outcome like that of Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And it's the only way to avoid the very real hell and lake of fire that follows it that we see in Scripture. Praise God tonight that we have a just God. If someone has wronged you and they refuse to get right and they never get it right, they're going to meet a just God and he's going to carry out justice. You don't have to be in that business and you don't have to worry about that. You put it in God's hands and let him meet out whatever justice is required. You be encouraged by that. And you also, if you're a Christian tonight, if you've placed your faith in Christ, uh, you be greatly encouraged tonight that you'll not meet an end like Abimelech or the men of Shechem. You have the very certain hope of a very real eternal life, a very real um, heaven in the presence of a very real Savior whom we'll worship and serve and enjoy all throughout eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. This is a difficult chapter to read and, and teach, Lord, but I believe that it's as important as any other words of Scripture. There's a warning here, and there's a teaching here that you are a just God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that reminder tonight. I pray that we be encouraged by that. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zachary will come and lead us in a final song, uh, verse or two, please. He'll close us in prayer quickly, and then we'll meet online uh, for our prayer time. We'll see you there shortly. Thank you for being with us tonight. All right, our last song is going to be number 325, Jesus Saves. We're going to sing the first and the last of the verses you have there, the first and the last of Jesus Saves. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is the Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And the last give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and darkest caves. This our song of victory, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, you would help us to take what we've learned, use it, apply it, and bless our time of prayer unto you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.